Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Welcome to the Ghosts of Harren Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 129 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter 55 of A Clash of Kings. That's Catelyn 7. And we're going to chat about the chapter. We're going to try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully we'll provide you some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry and cover some reader mail. Be sure to check out the show notes, they'll provide some additional information about the characters, geography and events in this chapter. How are you, McKelly Ray? I am doing fine. It's been a, been a bit of a um, whirlwind day, but uh, I'm here with you now and with all our uh, listeners, so uh, all is well. Oh, well, I'll tell you, when we get to the part that was affected by it, I'll tell you what happened. <laughs> okay, interesting. How about well, you? How I've are you been, doing? Good. I've been teaching my son to drive. Oh, right. Yes, I've been teaching my daughter and, to um, drive. Uh, so the, um, I, I discovered, I didn't know this, but apparently my wife says the most common thing for me to say when I walk into the house is, you would not believe the driving I saw. <laughs> In regards Lucas to just wa- general driving or Lucas's driving? Oh, <laughs> oh no, just generally. That's I don't know if it's a North Carolina thing. I haven't driven enough in enough states to know if North Carolina is particularly bad, but the standard of driving is appalling. Oh my goodness. So I'm giving Lucas a driving lesson. He's driving and it's like not a dual control car. I mean, he's... right. We're relying on him. Yeah. We're we're driving on what in England would be called a dual carriageway, um, divided yeah. highway. It's got a divider between the two. And so if you want to turn left onto that road, you have to drive into the middle and then sort of angle yourself, but you you have the middle is not wide enough for a car to just sit there uh, you know, crosswise to the traffic. You right. have to angle yes, itself a yes, little bit. Yes. Okay. So Lucas was driving in the left lane. He was doing, he's doing really well. I'm really impressed by his driving. And a car came across, we wanted to turn left, it came across and clearly it was not going to beat us, it was clearly going to have to go after us. So it had to stop in the middle. It completely failed to stop. It came out and stopped six feet beyond where it should have stopped, right in front of us. <laughs> And Lucas swerved into the right lane, swerved back into the left lane, and we kept going. I was frozen in panic. I thought we were dead. I thought we were just going to oh, die. Because I didn't know, I couldn't think what Lucas would do in that situation. But he did it. And like a minute later, when I could speak again, I said, did you know the right lane was empty? He said, oh, yeah, I knew. <laughs> I was like, well, well played. Well played. Good job. Good work. <laughs> you passed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the the car caught us up and it was a parent with a teenager. Uh, it was the same thing. And I was like, why did you bring your child to that? Why did you let them go? Right. Held them back until it's clear. <laughs> it was. Oh, oh man. God. It scared me yeah. so bad. Uh, yeah. It's. Uh, 
It's always scary. We we were pulling out of our neighborhood out onto the main road out um outside of our neighborhood. Oh right? yeah, I know you are. And yeah. it was Molly's first time going out of the neighborhood. Um, like first time doing that right turn. We weren't even trying to go left. We were just doing a right turn. But she took a little longer because she was making, really making sure yeah, there yeah. was no traffic. Yeah, yeah. And someone behind us pulls up and lays on the horn. No. And I, <laughs> I rolled down my window. Molly's like, oh, no, what are you going to do? I leaned my head out and I was like, do you have a problem? She's a new driver. It's her first time in the car. Why don't you be a little patient? And the lady puts her hands up like, um, you know, like, oh, my bad. <laughs> but the thing is, if Stacy bought those the student driver, please be patient. Uh, they were already they, in place. On the back of the car. So mm-hmm. I was like, did you read the sign? Molly's like, I thought you were going to get out of the car. I was like, no, I wasn't going <laughs> to beat somebody up. I just wanted to say, hey, calm down. It's a new driver. <laughs> We haven't had that yet, but 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 I notice when Lucas is talking when he drives, he's very concerned about other people's reaction to him. And I'm constantly saying to him, don't worry, you just do what you need to do. If right. you're holding someone up, they can always overtake you if they want to. Yeah. Don't worry about right. it. You know? Yeah. But yes. The new driver thing, I think. Molly doesn't like to be what she refers to as the lead dog. Which is the front car in a line of traffic. <laughs> well, if you stick to the speed limit, you will be. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and if you don't speak to the, stick to the speed limit, you'll fail your test. So. Anyway. All right. Well, we've got a good one tonight. Why don't we get down to business? How did we leave Kathleen Stark? Uh, Catelyn watched as Tywin's army tried to ford the Red Fork to relieve his beleaguered homelands. Edmure's forces repeatedly repelled him until Tywin turned south. Meanwhile, Catelyn pondered the possibility of a trade of the Stark girls for Jaime Lannister. Can she trust Tyrion? Under duress, Cleos Frey admits to only having seen Sansa, not Arya. One more worry for Cat. Since then, we know that the news has come that Theon Greyjoy has murdered Bran and Rickon. Two less worries? Too soon? Sorry. <laughs> I would think yes, too soon. <laughs> Okay. I wondered what I saw two less worries. I thought, what is he gonna say there? <laughs> oh goodness. Well come on. I mean the worries are over, really. Oh jeez. What's Rick and gonna grow up to be? Well, nothing. Oh no. <laughs> oh. You you wouldn't have known anyway, to be honest, Catelyn. You lost track of him years oh, right. ago. You know? Rickon? Who's this Rickon? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we give him the summary of this one? Okay. Well, Cat and Brienne dine alone in the Great Hall of Riverrun. A storm cloud hovers over Cat, in heavy contrast to the revelry of all else in the castle. Celebration of Edmure's victory against Tywin in the Battle of the Fords and Rob's continued success in the West has Riverrun feeling festive. Cat tries to send Brienne away to enjoy the parties, but the younger lady is uninterested. Without meaning to, Catelyn tells Brienne that a raven arrived early this morning from Sir Roderick Castle at Castle Serwyn. Roderick plans to amass as many men as he can and retake Winterfell. She tries to tell her the rest of the letter's contents, but struggles to get the words out. Eventually, Cat reveals she no longer has any sons other than Rob. Bran and, um, um, Rickon Rickon, Rickon. were taken at the mill. (laughs) Ah... Bran and Rickon were... T- <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe you're laughing at your own joke there. Uh, 
Bren and Rickon were taken at a mill, and Theon Greyjoy mounted their heads on the walls of Winterfell. A shock, Brienne, suggests maybe the queen will take pity on Cat and return her daughters to her. Cat, unfortunately, knows better. Cat thinks Arya is likely dead as well, but she assures Brienne, Rob will get his revenge on Theon, and when he does, Rob's sword won't make a nice, easy job of removing Theon's head as Ned's sword ice would have done. Catelyn leaves to visit her father, but before she does, she tells Bree she'd like her company at midnight when she pays a visit to Jamie Lannister, to whom she sent a bottle of wine. Lord Hostetully clings to life as Cat clings to his hand. She tells him of her loneliness, reminds him of a time she and Lysa got lost in fog, and Peter Baelish rescued them, and laments over how fruitless all this war is. She just wants her kids back and to go home. Before she knows it, Brienne arrives, and together they leave for the dungeon. She finds Jamie in a dark, dank cell. She explains it's his own fault. They gave him a nice tower cell, but he tried to escape. She sees the wine bottle that she sent him unopened. He says it seemed a tad too generous to be trusted, and she responds that she could have his head off at any time she wants. He makes crude remarks about her visiting to have her pleasure with him and other arrogant, crass comments. She turns to leave. However, he changes his tune and begs her forgiveness. She wants answers. He agrees, but only if she'll answer his questions in kind. Her first question is whether Joffrey truly is his son. He admits all of Cersei's children are his. He asks about the well-being of his family. He's unaffected by news of his uncle Stafford Lannister's death. She asks how her son, Bran, fell from the tower. As casually as if discussing the weather, Jamie says he flung Bran out of the window. Catelyn is stunned. A knight is sworn to protect the innocent. She follows up, suggesting that when Bran didn't die, he, Jamie, paid a man to kill him. Jamie admits they thought about it, but Bran was too well guarded. Though if he did want Bran dead, he'd have done it himself. She suggests Cersei hired the man. Jamie says he'd have known if she did it because they don't keep secrets from each other. He rejects the possibility of Tyrion's involvement too, but Cat questions why the man had Tyrion's dagger and explains Tyrion won it betting on Jamie versus Sir Loras Tyrell. Jamie points out that he, Jamie, lost that match and his brother always backs him in the lists, so anything Tyrion wagered, he lost. But King Robert did show him that very dagger that same night. Cat realizes this is the same story Tyrion told her in the Mountains of the Moon. But why would her friend Peter, who once fought a duel for her hand in marriage, lie to her? Jamie then asks about the Baratheon brothers. Stannis marches on King's Landing. Renly's dead by a mysterious black art. The Tyrells? Neutral since Renly's death. She asks him how he could consider himself a knight when he's broken every vow he took. He responds that there's too many conflicting vows. Uphold one, break another. Talk, talk then turns toward Mad King Aerys, Jamie's most notable vow-breaking. He asks if she knows how Rickard and Brandon Stark died. She does not. So he expounds. On his way to River Run, to wed Cat, uh, Brandon got the news of his sister Lyanna's abduction. He changed course for King's Landing, riding into the Red Keep, shouting for Rhaegar Targaryen to come out and die. King Aerys had him and his four companions arrested, 
and their fathers summoned to answer for the transgressions of the sons. When fathers and sons were reunited at the Red Keep, Ares had them killed. Only Ethan Glover survived. As for Rickard and Brandon, Rickard asked and was granted a trial by combat. Rickard dressed in his armor, expecting to meet a member of the Kingsguard in a duel. Instead, Ares chose Fire as the champion of House Targaryen. Rickard was suspended from the rafters, and Pyromancers lit a fire underneath him. Brandon's hands were bound behind his back, and a noose around his neck. A sword placed in front of him. If he could reach the sword, he could save his father. But as he moved toward the sword, the noose tightened. Brandon strangled himself to death, trying to reach the sword, and Rickard burned to death in his armor. Jamie finishes by saying... Ned should have kissed the hand that slew that king. He then says he's changed his mind. He won't pleasure Cat, as Littlefinger's already had her. Cat calls for Brienne and asks her for her sword. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Maybe went too far there, Jamie. Maybe. Dark wings, dark words, I guess, is uh, yes, the so they say. And that held true for Cat this morning. She said she, uh, the... Letter came in early this morning, and Maester Vyman did the dutiful thing and woke her up immediately, but the cruel thing as well, because she may <laughs> yes. never sleep again now, for at least for a really long time. And and she sat on the news all day, right? Only her and Maester Vyman know the news. Nobody else has been told right. yet. yes. Until she tells Brienne during this chapter. And she, when so... she does it, she feels like she spoke it into existence. Like, as long as she didn't yeah. say what yeah. happened then maybe it wasn't true. but obviously. Well, here I am still crossing my fingers that you can speak it all you want. It isn't going to become existence because it hasn't happened yet. Oh. Theon's lying. Well. This is my hope. Well, we were hoping that uh, when we finish the la- last chapter, the Tyrion chapter, we'd get some clarity here in a cat chapter. The uh, news has not, not really. changed yet. <laughs> no. Unfortunately. No. But, I mean, she's pretty broken up, and of course, you'd imagine that she would be, you know. But, especially for a woman such as Kat, who is so devoted to family. I mean, this is just total devastation. She lost Bran and and someone else. I, you know what? Can I contend this point? I, I don't think... You remember... Back in our 50th episode, we did the whole thing about our uh, coat of arms. Right. Uh, was that for that I think, one? <laughs> I don't remember. I, I think it was for that one. Anyway, go on. I think it was for that one. So, if you remember, I, I rather forgot my family in the coat of arms. Oh, yes. Yes, I do recall this. In, in the way that Catelyn Tully, as you say, would not have forgotten her family in her own, had she been designing her own coat of arms. I don't think she's any more broken up about the death of her children than I would be. I mean, true, very true. Yes, I, uh, I completely. I, I think that I, I didn't. I didn't take it as an attack on me. What you were saying, just to be clear. <laughs> I mean, <it's... laughs> I think what what I mean is that she's lost pretty much all except for Rob, one by one. Well, the girls together, but you know, she's lost Ned. The girls got right, abducted, it, it, and now her two yeah, sons it, are gone. But in a way, she did lose the girls sequentially, because she sort of lost them both. But then she seems to have lost Arya completely, whereas she's still got a sort of kernel of hope she might get Sansa back, but that's f- fading as well, you know? Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. She she does mention in this chapter that 
she thinks Arya must be dead too. And you, you, you know, the question would be, why does she think that the Lannisters haven't led on to that? But she mentions in this chapter that she sent Jamie a bottle of wine because it worked well with Cleos Frey. Cleos Frey. And yeah. basically she sent Cleos that bottle of wine and let him get drunk and then went up and interrogated him. And she got almost nothing useful out of that conversation. But the one thing that that his loose tongue uh, gave up that he probably didn't want it to was that when he was in the throne room, he only saw Sansa. He did not see Arya. And she wondered what that meant. It could have meant a lot of things. But now she's in this really dark place and she's probably decided. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. You've got to imagine that they would be parading both of them. But then again, Arya is an urchin who, like, wouldn't stand for being paraded. So they might keep her out of public view, even if they did have her. So there's always that hope that, you know, she's safe and well. But it it, it isn't, given how many Starks died the day that Cersei pulled her trap, it really isn't that big of a stretch to imagine Arya dead. Right. Oh, no, definitely not. Yeah, but on the other hand, if you were going to pick one of the two to behave herself at court, you would pick Sansa. True that. So, True. <laughs> but you could also make the argument of, of possibly why, I mean, any parent who loses two children would be absolutely devastated. But on top of that simple fact, you could make the argument that she started this whole ball rolling because way back at the beginning of A Game of Thrones, Ned planned to reject Robert's offer of Hand of the King, and she kind of coerced, uh, subtly steered him into the direction of taking the role with visions of a daughter as queen and grandsons as kings, and, um, you know, it's been all downhill since, basically. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. Yeah, and and of course, she further precipitated it when she took Tyrion prisoner right. based on the word of Peter Baelish, which who now she's beginning to realize was feeding her a lie. Right. Or at least Tyrion and Jamie are feeding her the same lie while Jamie is being... Like Cersei was in the last chapter, completely open and honest about other things. Yeah, you know yeah. things things that in many respects are even worse. Uh, exactly. You know? Yes, very much. But but speaking of lying, you said a few minutes ago that you think Theon might be lying about this whole thing with the boys, and I felt like the fact that the letter said that the boys' heads were on spikes on the walls of Winterfell. Seemed a bit much. I, I know Theon was angry and embarrassed by the boys escaping. And in fact, he said, well, he didn't say this out loud, but he thought it to himself. I'd sooner have them dead than show up at Deepwood Mott. Rather be considered cruel than foolish. So he did, it did cross his mind 
to kill them, but but per- putting their heads on spikes just seems a bit much for Theon. It's hard to imagine a situation where you catch up to the fleeing boys and you're forced to kill them rather than drag them back. I mean, right. It's not like they're armed. You know? like, <laughs> right. They are two small boys, one of whom is crippled. You know. Yeah, I mean, even it if the wolves like were with you... them and put up a fight, you could kill the wolves. That's the wolves. Yeah. You may have to kill the wolves. Right. Yes. Maybe it's the heads of the wolves that are on the, sp- the walls. Maybe, maybe. Winterfell. <laughs> Yeah, she thinks she thought that the boys would be safe as long as the wolves were with them. But Theon's got Theon got the impression during his hunt that the wolves and the boys had been separated. So maybe the wolves weren't with the boys. Well, I think I my interpretation of that whole scene, of course, was that Osha arranged for the wolves and the boys to be separated, perhaps temporarily, just to throw off the right. hunting dogs. Sure, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think the boys and wolves are are sundered. Well, maybe they are. If, if the boys' heads are sundered from their shoulders, then yes. Right, yes, yeah. So sweet, poor, sweet, innocent Brienne. She, <laughs> she thinks possibly that the queen has kids of the same age as Kat, and maybe the queen will take pity on Kat for losing her little boys and send her girls home. Hmm. Very sweet idea. That, yes, that, that's not going to happen. No, she Brienne doesn't know wrong. Cersei. That's one thing that's made clear right there. Yeah. Again, later in the chapter, she can say, one of the reasons I can tell you for a fact that she doesn't care about the children of my of her kids' age that aren't her kids is because she and her twin brother pushed one of mine out of the window. Yeah. I now know. I, I now know for a fact. But, you know, I mean, even if Cersei wasn't who we know her to be, they only have one kid and they have to keep her in order to keep Jamie safe. Although by the end of this chapter, you wonder if uh, yes. that might actually be true or not. But, but of course, but of course, the, there, there is this cliffhanger at the end of the chapter, which is, is she so angry that she's going to kill Jamie? Sansa's life hangs in that same balance, so you can't kill Jamie. Eventually, wisdom will prevail. Yes, here, I, I think a, a clear-headed cat would never put Sansa at risk, which I think we discussed last uh, in the yeah. last Tyrion, Tyrion chapter. But I wonder about her in her depressed, angry uh, but, but stage of Brienne grief. is more than just a bodyguard, and if I were Brienne, I would say to her, can I just hold this sword while you think about what you right. want me to do here? Let's count to ten. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Remember Sansa? Pretty red hair. Right. You were just telling me about her beautiful hair. Uh, but, you know, if they did have, if the Lannisters did have both girls, maybe for political negotiations, freeing one of the girls might be some sort of sign of good faith. Like, you keep Jamie alive. We'll give you back Arya. Uh, it's an interesting thought experiment. They may have sent Arya back with Cleos Frey. Right. Say, you know, see, you know, we, for exactly that we're reason. not monsters. Yeah. Do not kill yeah, yeah. Jamie. You get the other half of this deal when we get Jamie. Right. Just kind of like um, Tyrion did with uh, with Hobber. He sent Hobber Redwine right. to Bitterbridge with right. Peter Baelish as a sign of good faith and kept Horace. I think yeah. I always get Horace and Hobber confused. I think I got them right mm. this time. Horace I, is still I in King's Landing. I think our listeners won't care. <laughs> <laughs> the pedantic ones will, but <laughs> <laughs> the pedantry is ours and ours alone. That's right. But maybe, maybe uh, 
your brother Rob will start a pedantry, uh, <laughs> pedantry show just on pedantry on Ghosts of Harrenhal. <laughs> yes, yes. What's that? There's a show on ESPN where they do the corrections at the end of the show live. Yes, the, yeah. the, the, Pardon the interruption. The I think last... it's called. Yes, PTI. they leave the last thirty <laughs> seconds for the corrections of things they said earlier in the show. <laughs> We should have that. We should. Because we have, we have no idea. We're just blissful here. <laughs> <laughs> so so Rob will obviously, when he learns of this, because I don't think Rob knows this yet, um, will want to avenge his brother's death. So this is presumably bad news for Theon. Um, we, I suggested last chapter that Rob doesn't need to rush home now. If the boys are already dead, there's no race to protect them. Um, yeah. So it does sort of eases the urgency but the need for desire might fuel that urgency you know it'd be hard to it'd be hard to say let me just deal with what i've got here going on in the office and then i'll come home and kill the guy who killed my two sons right or two brothers i I, you know the the rational kingly side of him might think mother i've got a war i'm i'm working on here I, i can't race home right now Sir Roderick will take care of reclaiming Winterfell and he'll hold Theon until I get there. But Cat yeah. is still his grieving mother and her influence for revenge, uh, her, her influence on him for the revenge that she wants might uh, sway him to, to action. What's interesting about that is I wonder if Cat might use this because presumably Rob is safest if he goes back north. Right now, yeah. there may have to be a battle at Winterfell to win Winterfell back from Theon. I don't think that's going to be a very difficult battle. It will go easily for the fifty thousand Stark troops who come home um, <laughs> to the twenty-five. <laughs> uh, exactly, twenty-five Ironborn holding so, Winterfell. And so, if she wants Rob away from the dangers, she might actually say, "No, no, let's go home now." You know, not because she actually feels the white hot heat of re- need for revenge, but just sort of like calculating that this would keep Rob safer. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's very much true. Because you'd have to think the Lannisters aren't going to follow the Northmen how back you, north. How do you follow? Yeah, they've got their own. Uh, situation right. to deal with in King's Landing. Now, of course, this is all taking for granted that Victarion doesn't get control of Moat Kaelin before True. the Northern troops True. get through there. But, you know, if she really wanted to, if she wanted to play that uh, whole uh, parenting guilt trip thing that all parents need to to learn uh, mm-hmm. as a tool Trump in there. Card. Trump card. Yeah. Um, she could remind Rob Possibly this is all his fault because she said, <laughs> do not send Theon Greyjoy to Pike. And he yes. said, mother, you don't know what you're talking about. He's my friend. He's, uh, we know what we're doing. And she mm-hmm. said, there's a reason why he's been a ward of your father's for so long. Mm-hmm. And did I hope she keeps that one to herself. I hope she doesn't take you up on that because that is a mean thing to say. Of course, to yes. It would be very, <laughs> so would be you, very you mean. Do, you do. Do have a point. <laughs> um, so the next stop in the chapter is that um, Catelyn goes to visit her father, Hoster Tully. Um, she sees Maester Vyman on the way who offers her some thing to help her sleep, given that he is the only person at this time who knows what she's suffering. Right. Um, yeah, he tells her that her father's had milk of the puppy and so he's fast asleep. But she holds his hand and she thinks and she tells him the story of a time when she and Lysa got lost in the fog and they were rescued by Peter Baelish. And uh, 
you have a reason you have a theory as to why that's in this chapter well i just think it's i think it's there to further remind us of why cat has a connection to peter baelish that she's not willing she doesn't want to change her opinion of peter who she thinks basically grew up like a brother to her and why she's clinging to his story about the dagger when the two Lannister brothers' story about the dagger is adding up a lot better. Right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Catelyn and Brienne go down to see uh, Jamie. Catelyn leaves Brienne outside and goes in on her own. And Catelyn tells Jamie that it's men like you that make such an awful world. And Jamie responds, there are no men like me, only me. Yeah, that's quite the arrogant remark, isn't it? <laughs> and he says it twice in this chapter. In fact, it kind of reminded me of something Joffrey might say. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I was wondering if, you know, maybe it wasn't quite as... I was trying to think of it if I if I were in his head, because we don't get his point of view, only Kat's point of view. Maybe he was speaking of his unique perspective in Westeros. He killed this terrible king the mad king Ares, and ended a dangerous unstable rule but yet he's reviled and his name and reputation have been tarnished by it you know maybe that's what he means no no one else is walking and walks in the shoes that i have to walk in i saved all your butts and this is the thanks i get yeah um i will say that i i don't agree with you here i i think Obviously, anyone who says something like, there are no men like me, only me, is a little bit of a big head, a little bit of a narcissist to yes, say something like that. definitely, yeah. But the typical narcissist wouldn't have anything to back it up. But Jamie really does. Jamie is practically unique in the world. I mean, he is the firstborn son of one of the most powerful houses. True. He is renowned for his fighting prowess in all forms of fighting right he was the youngest king's guard ever he's good looking apparently yeah he really does bring the whole package you know so he's he's not that wrong perhaps the only person who could say well actually there is there is someone like you is perhaps loris tyrell oh yeah he's although he's not the oldest he, born but that's right he, oh that's right he's the youngest born so Right, uh, he but 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 that. he has a similar backstory and has beaten Jamie in battle in, True. in uh, yeah. combat. So, uh, but almost nobody else has got this kind of like. And he gave it all up to become Kingsguard, which is such a noble pursuit. And he literally did kill a terrible tyrant. Right, which whilst it was an oath break, it also was a good thing for the realm. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure it's the perspective thing. I, I think he really does think he is all that. He is the cat's pajamas. And as you say, he actually can back that up. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, It's still big-headed. I mean, obviously, I could say the same thing, but I choose not to, in my <laughs> <Right>. modesty. <laughs> You're all thinking it. <laughs> I don't need to say it. <laughs> Remember that time we were all sitting at lunch and you had to leave and you're like, well, I, I hate that when I get up and leave this room, you guys are all going to blink out of existence until I see you again. <laughs> I was only kidding. <laughs> but the thing is, we did. 
<laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's a, it's not a surprise to me. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, boy. But... So, Jake... Jamie says that he doesn't believe in the gods because what kind of gods would allow, you know, would allow him to be looked down upon for doing what he did, which what he did was actually the right thing to do and noble and all those kinds of things. Right. Yeah. It, it certainly shapes the the way he has been perceived after doing what he did, killing a terrible king, would certainly shape your outlook on most things. Right. The problem is, of course, is that the other thing we know he did was push a child out of a window. Can't a overlook that. And that's that for sure. Is, that one is much harder to swallow. Yes. That, again, is an oath break because of he's, you know, he's supposed to be a knight and he's supposed to protect the innocent. But that's an unforgivable one. Absolutely. The first one. Absolutely. Every time you, you know, if you argue that he's not being an arrogant ass, which clearly he is throughout this entire chapter. Uh, but, if you know, anytime you try to think of maybe he doesn't mean the things he's saying quite how it's being taken, there's a, always that backdrop. He pushed a seven-year-old boy out a window to his death. Yeah. And, and and the other thing you could say, and again, like you said, this is a Catelyn chapter. We don't have Jamie chapters, so we don't have his perspective. It could be the guilt of that act because, I mean, he talks about it boldly here, but he's got to feel some guilt about it. You it was a child so. right. who suffered horribly because of what he did. Um, maybe he feels the need to big himself up to sure. counterbalance that guilt, you know? Yeah, I like I like that. Yeah, that's very possible. We'd need to get Dr. Honda on here and uh, ask him yeah. his take on it. Yeah. But uh, one thing we, you know, we don't get to know Jamie very well so far throughout this story. Uh, we don't have a POV on him, and he hasn't been around a whole lot. But uh, we're starting to see that maybe Joff is more like his father than we realized. They, uh... Well, again, I would say with the one exception of anything that he could hang his hat on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the big head. They both have right. overinflated egos, apparently. Right. <laughs> right. They both have egos, but one of them has actual a track record, a resume to back up the big head. Right. The other one was born on third base and thought he'd scored a triple. <laughs> he was born one step from home plate. <laughs> and what is <laughs> yeah. when his uh, uh, non-biological father died, he took that one step. <laughs> right. right. But, you know, we like I said, we haven't spent a whole lot of time around Jamie. We've gotten plenty of Tyrion and Cersei's thoughts on him, which are quite favorable obviously Tyrion and Cersei both very much love their brother so you know it's that but like you said we did watch him push a boy out a window so yeah that not knowing anything else about him that that uh, certainly balances things off and in this chapter he's coming off uh not very well we'll say yeah okay I'll give you that so Jamie admits that Cersei's kids are his Joffrey is mine, as are the rest of Cersei's brood, I suppose. Which, not the fondest thing you've ever heard a father say. But again, I suppose he he has had to sort of distance himself from it because you couldn't say, my boy, right. in front of the cuckolded king. That's true. That yeah, my first so thought well. was the same as yours. That doesn't sound a whole lot like a proud papa. But um, <laughs> you're right. He may have had to, he's had, uh, what, four, 13 years or so to build up this kind of, distance between him and his three yeah. children and of course he's their uncle as well as their father so right. he's got a right to 
you know, bounce them on his knee kind of thing. But it's it's he has to tread a fine line, of course, with that. Right. Well, let, let, let me let me say this. Let me say, put these words in your mouth. I think you you've made the point that his love is all for Cersei and the fact that children came of it is of less interest to him. I think Cersei truly loves her children. Right. But I think Jamie truly loves Cersei and didn't really care, you know, wasn't trying to sire children. Yes. He refers to the kids as Cersei's brood. Like they are her kids. Yeah. He loves her. She loves them. I'm sure at some level he loves them as well, but his primary love seems to be Cersei. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsharenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. So both of the twins now have revealed in the last two chapters that they are uh, guilty of incest and uh, that their children are bastards uh, maybe um, it's I, time around cat or something <laughs> i don't know maybe. <laughs> but I, I will say that they both told it to people who already believed it true yeah and one i mean is their brother so right but yeah it's just they've they've tried so hard to hide this secret for so long and and now they're just like revealing it yeah. Chapter after chapter, maybe, but maybe Ned should have originally just gone to Jamie and asked him instead of running around King's Landing like Sherlock Holmes and eventually losing his head. To be fair, for about ninety percent of the time, he wouldn't have known what to ask Jamie. True, he didn't know. He didn't know what the mystery was he was trying to solve. So. He's like Jamie. Is there anything you want to tell me? Anything you want to tell me? So, uh. Jamie asks Cersei about the state of the war. She re- tells him that his uncle Stafford Lannister has been killed. Um, he refers to him as Uncle Dalt. <laughs> so he's obviously not too broken up. Again, all his love is channeled at Cersei, it seems. Right, yes. And so Stafford Lannister is is not his fa- is not Tywin's brother. He's actually Joanna's, his Jamie's mother's brother. So Tywin's cousin and brother in law. So how is he Lannister? Is he not Lannister? Yeah, no, no. Um, Joanna was Tywin's cousin. Cousin, so she yes. was called Lannister too. Yeah, yes. sorry. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And, and back when, um, I think it was the first cat chapter of this book, they were talking about a new army being built in the West, or being you know assembled in the West. Brendan uh, Blackfish Tully, Cat's uncle, said that this Stafford Lannister, who was heading up the effort for the new Lannister army, was old and a bit of a dullard. But his son Davin is more uh, formidable. So now that Stafford's gone, maybe that makes matters. Maybe that actually helps the Lannisters. We haven't heard what uh, of anything before into Davin yet. He's, no, we've heard we nothing about Davin. About, right. So right. uh, he could be dead. So maybe the, not. Yeah, yeah. So Cat asked, "How did Brown fall from the tower?" And Jamie said, "I flung him from a window." Um, and and. It's interesting that he would say that so bluntly to the mother. Um, he has been captive for quite a long time now, and sort of for the last part of it in a dingy dungeon uh, cell. So perhaps he's forgotten how humans interact with one another. But that I had uh, that thought too, right? 
not the not the kind of thing one should say to a yeah unless of a child. especially especially unless, to the child who's just died apparently right yes well of course he doesn't well, know he, this he doesn't know that yes, right she doesn't, doesn't she intentionally doesn't share that with him but yes that I had that exact same thought that you did or maybe he just wants maximum damage on her for what how he's been treated down here in this cell he pretends like it's not that big of a deal but i i highly doubt he truly feels that way so oh yeah yeah um, but she gets mad at him she she gets exasperated basically because he takes no personal blame for uh brand being pushed out the window first he blames it on brand for spying that she says brand wasn't spying he was seven and then he says, well, the, then blame your gods for putting Bran where he shouldn't have been. And um, she says something like, you threw him. You threw him out the window. You meant for him to die. And his line, which I made me, uh, I wouldn't say chuckle, but um, I, I found somewhat amusing was he said, I seldom fling children from towers to improve their health. I thought, <laughs> good point. Actually good point. Very good line there. So Cat accuses uh, Jamie of paying the cat's paw, the assassin, to kill Bran. Jamie said that um, he if he did talk about it, he did think about it, but he would have done it himself. The reason he didn't is that Jay- Bran was too well guarded, so that's why Bran was allowed to live. And so he denies. If you've just admitted to pushing him out the window, there's no reason to deny sending the assassin yep. unless you didn't do it. It feels to me. So then Kat says, well, if it wasn't you, then it was Cersei. And Jamie's like, nope, if she did it, she'd have told me. We keep no secrets from each other. And, and we had discussed the last chapter, because it was the Tyrion chapter, whether Cersei might have actually been the one that paid for the cat's paw. Uh, and then f- intentionally framed Tyrion using Littlefinger. But But I think... There's an interesting point, because if she decided to do it to silence Bran, which is a perfectly valid reason for doing it, then Jamie would have known. I think he's right to say that. I would know. But if she was doing it to frame Tyrion and silence Bran, she might have kept that from Jamie, Right. Because Jamie has a fondness for Tyrion that uh, he would not have approved of that plan. Right. Yes. And, and, and if she was doing it primarily to frame Tyrion but also to kill Bran. She could have shared the plan with Jamie. oh, I'm going to kill Bran, and not mention the other part of it. Let that just happen by itself. Oh, is that the dagger that that he oh, used? Yeah, that dagger. Where'd he mm-hmm. find that old thing? Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> it's weird that he did. He bet against you that time. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> I thought, I, I wondered when he said, we keep no secrets, between each other, referring to Jamie and Cersei, I wondered if if he ever does make it back to King's Landing, if uh, she plans on telling him about her trysts with Lancel, their cousin. Yeah, if the, one of the better ways to not have someone lie to you is not ask any sensitive questions. Oh yeah, yeah, it's good. That's true. Yeah. Avoid yeah. those, and then yeah. And if they do tell you a story, ask them to tell it again with more detail. Oh right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> We learned this, I think, um, last chapter. Uh, but, so lastly, she mentions Tyrion as a person who paid for the cat's paw, which I thought odd that she mentioned him third because she started a, basically started an entire war over the belief that it was Tyrion. 
that was the one that hired the assassin. So, um, you know, it's interesting. This is, she this is a Tully her. girl trait. <laughs> <laughs> Any Lannister will do. Right, yeah. So, but then she also uh, gets the details backward for the bet uh, for the dagger. She says that Tyrion got that dagger because he bet on you against Loras Tyrell for uh, for Joffrey's the tournament of Joffrey's name day, and she's like, "Wait, no, is that right? I don't think that I don't think I got that right." And he's like, uh, "Well, well, she's thinking this in her head. She doesn't say that part out loud." And mm-hmm. uh, Jamie's like, um, "Well, see, here's the thing." I lost that match, and uh, Tyrion always backs me, which is the same thing that Tyrion told her. And uh, so, Cat thinks he's lying about this, and Jamie says, "I just admitted to killing your urchin. Why would I lie <laughs> about this knife?" Which is a pretty solid defense, you know. Right. Exactly. I, I, I mean, the only the only possible explanation is that they're trying to further create confusion and animosity between maybe maybe between Littlefinger and and Cat. Maybe they fear Littlefinger's power and they want to put a division between Littlefinger and huh? the Starks. But it it's such it's so convoluted. They yeah. keep on denying this while they're admitting to worse crimes. It's clearly they didn't do it. Yeah, it's there's certainly a lot of um reasonable doubt here it, but we haven't talked about this cat's paw since cat left king's landing back in a game of thrones when apart she from the last the... chapter when we did talk about it well yes we did talk a little <laughs> bit about it last chapter but jamie adds more depth to the story he divulges that king robert had the dagger and he knows this because king robert showed him the dagger and during the feast after the tournament so someone hired this cat's paw so Real quick, I thought we could go through the possible culprits and just kind of sum them up. So, um, so we, let's start with Tyrion. He seems very unlikely. First of all, we get his inner voice. Where he's a POV character, and there's been no indication that yeah. he's had any thoughts that he was involved, unless he sleep, sleepwalked through it. Right. He is. <laughs> and, and the, the, he would have to have multiple personalities. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when it says Tyrion 2, it's not the second Tyrion chapter. <laughs> right. It's a different Tyrion. <laughs> so, and plus, both Jamie and Tyrion have independently backed up each other's stories that. Right. And have had very little opportunity to commune about their stories. Right. Yes. So. They have been separated since before the cat's paw. Right. So then we've got Jamie, and he makes a solid defense. He defended himself well here. Why would he admit to pushing Bran out the window and then decide to lie about whether he paid the guy to try and kill him? So I think he's fairly safely ruled out. Yeah, there's Cersei, of course, still, like we said, but... um... She denied wanting Bran dead when she talked to Tyrion in the last chapter, and she doesn't have any reason to lie to him, but she does lie to him quite a lot. She does. That's kind of their thing. Yes, yeah. But Jamie said here, and this sounded plausible, that if she had hired the cat's ball, he would know about it. That seems probably true. But again, if she was conspiring against Tyrion, she might keep that from Jamie. Yeah, that's a solid point. And she would have access to Robert's dagger. She would. If, now that we've learned that Robert 
own the dagger, at least at the last that Jamie saw. Um, that does give her both motive, maybe the best motive, trying to cover their tracks of who pushed Bran out the window, and access, which are are two things that a detective might yes. look for. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Gumshoe McKelly. <laughs> Appreciate that. But but why would she... She's not dumb. Why would she give a man s- such a dagger? She's a better schemer than that, unless she intentionally did it to yeah. well, frame Tyrion. One question I have is, at what point, if, if the command came from Cersei to do this, at what point, where was she when the attack on Bran happened? They were still on the road, right? So... There's a lot of things go into that. She has to get hold of the dagger from Robert. Not too difficult. It's in a traveling bag. She's riding in the wagon. She's probably rooting through those out of boredom. <laughs> but then how does she hire an assassin? It's... Uh, so she could have, any of the Lannisters could have paid someone while they were in Winterfell with the instructions. Winterfell. Once we've left. Wait until we're two weeks down the road. Yeah, true yes, that. To, to lessen the, yeah. uh, the, well, likelihood that anyone would believe that it's us but but one thing one name that comes up here that hasn't before is robert and it seems highly unlikely that robert would have his best friend's son killed but in the first Tyrion chapter of a game of thrones when they were at breakfast together Tyrion said that robert was anxious to go but he was holding off leaving winterfell for ned's sake but that he would eventually pull rank and say we gotta go. So right. now, of course, the the cat's paw didn't do it until they were already out of town. So right. So it feels like the die is cast at that point. You might imagine him doing it. Hey, go smother that child so we can get out of here. Possibly, but <laughs> once you're already on the road, it feels like a waste of time. And maybe not even just like so we can get out of here, but also to like end Ned's suffering over his son lingering. In and out, you know, whether or not he was going to die when it surely looked like he was going to die. So, but there's one so name then, that I just want to mention real quick. Oh, go on. As then. a possibility yeah, you've, here. You've covered everybody in, in <laughs> Westeros now. If you recall, in that same uh, Tyrion 1 chapter, before Tyrion sat down to breakfast with his family, he slapped Joffrey for. Uh, kind of mocking Bran and uh, not having gone and paid his respects yet. Oh, true. And, uh, and the Hound told Tyrion that the little prince will remember that slap. What if Joff did it to set Tyrion up? That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, um, just a thought. But then one last, one last point, of course, the name you're not mentioning here is the person... The only person who appears to have categorically lied about this whole thing is Peter Bailey. <laughs> yes. The only reason is because he wasn't there. But that doesn't mean he couldn't have uh, somehow... Oh, he was still in King's Landing. That's right. Yes. But, but had news of the... No, we never got anybody's POV in King's Landing until Ned got there. Right. So we don't know when news of Bran's fall reached King's Landing. Right. It would have taken a while, you would think, because it's opposite well, ends of Westeros. Th- these... These ravens, they fly. They fly fast. Supersonic. <laughs> okay, interesting. So, um, Tork moves to uh, the vows of a knight and a member of the King's Guard. Uh, and Jamie, not unreasonably, points out that these things often conflict. You know, these things are not the same. I mean, to protect the innocent and to protect the king, well, he chose one over the other. 
Right. And we see that currently with the current Kingsguard and Joff. I mean, their vow is to protect the innocent and obey the king. And Sansa is one end of that and the small right. folk as well. And, you know, Joffrey is the other side. You can't do both in that situation, really. And so yes. doing one violates the other. But one thing about Jamie and his vows and about Jamie as the person he is today is that as you mentioned this a little bit ago that Jamie was a knight and a member of the Kingsguard at a very young age. Yeah. And he probably young, impressionable, I think he was like 13-year-old uh, Jamie, probably thought he would be a fine and true knight before the realities of being a knight, especially a member of a Kingsguard, especially a member of a Kingsguard to a, to a mad king, uh, set in when he, he realized, oh, this isn't anything like I thought it was going to be. It might somewhat explain why he's so bitter and unsympathetic about such things. Yeah, I, I think the other thing is the other thing is the reaction to his killing Ares. I mean, for me, I've got to imagine, knowing what he knew, he thought he was doing the noble act. I think at one point in this chapter, when he's retelling the story, he says that some other member of the Kingsguard tells him that his job is to protect the king, not judge the king. Right, Gerald Hightower. So it doesn't matter what the king does, you've got to protect him. Well, that guy is way more craven, way more spineless, way less of a person than Jamie Lannister is for stepping up and killing King Aerys. But Jamie Lannister is reviled by everyone for what he did. And it's kind of like the unfairness of that would eat away at anybody, I think. You know? I, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think another sort of like seasoning on top of that is Ned Stark's constantly... Uh, debating and and undermining Jamie's rationale for doing it. Jamie's rationale for doing it was that he was sparing the realm this awful mad king who was going to kill innocent people. But Ned thinks that it was a calculated move by the Lannisters, possibly to take the throne. Right. Well, Jamie was sitting See, on the throne when he rode into sitting on the, the Red throne. Keep. Yes. So yes. yeah. And, but uh, so so those two things, like the the reaction of the populace to say Kingslayer. And the reaction of your purported allies to say, wait a minute, what are you doing sitting on that throne, you know? Right. And also to call you Kingslayer just feels like just, dude, can no one say thank you? Right. Just one thank you for what I did here? Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. I think that was the point of why he mentioned what Sir Gerald Hightower said to him about Gerald you Hightower swore a vow said. to guard the king, not judge him or something like that. Um, and because then he follows it up with, first of all, Gerald Hightower was the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard before Barristan Selmy took over. He died fighting Ned at the uh, Tower of Joy when Ned was trying to get to Lyanna. But Gerald Hightower, I, I think the whole point of this, him saying this, is to point out the hypocrisy of the situation. Because, like you said, he killed the Mad King, ended his reign of terror, and it's caused him nothing but a ruined reputation. Meanwhile, Hightower, who only sat back while King Ares carried out these horrible deeds, and then rationalized that it's not his their place to judge what he does, is widely widely regarded as a hero and a true knight. And uh, you know that that would have to certainly rankle your uh, right, you know, <laughs> And then bit. yes, that's right. It's Gerald Hightower. So his last act on this mortal coil was to defend a tower 
in which a woman was dying so that her brother couldn't get to her. It's right. like, how is that a noble act, you know? <laughs> right. Let him in. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, One uh, statement that Jamie made stuck out to me. He said that he was loved by one for a kindness I never did and reviled by so many for my greatest act. Now, the second half of that we've covered in a lot of detail here, reviled by so many for my greatest act, right. but loved by one for a kindness I never did. So not many people love him. So the cast of possibilities here is not that high. Cersei, yes. Tyrion, perhaps his father, maybe his kids. Right. Yes. Uh, which of those loves him for a kindness? Well, so... Yes, I I think you're right. His finest act, at least in his opinion, seems fairly obvious that it's killing Mad King Ares, and he's reviled yes, for and it. He he's, certainly is reviled for yes, it. Yes, he's called the King Slayer. I think the kindness one is a bit harder to, to. I don't think it's as clear cut. I have a theory, and I've seen it uh, mentioned online as well. However, I think my theory is a bit too much of a spoiler, so. I think we should. Because it's not uh, theory, you know. Well, something is revealed later that I think right. is a possible candidate. It hasn't been revealed right. yet, and I don't want to mention it. But we can mention it on the spoiler channel of our Discord server. Oh, so we'll do that there, possibly. But I will okay. say, just think about who loves Jamie. Like you said, it's a very short list, and what kindnesses uh, he might have paid those on that list. That's... So, uh, I will say, I'm increasingly te- Team Jamie for his killing of Ares. The way he describes what he did to Brandon and Rickard right. Stark is, you know, it, it's obscene and he should have been killed for it. Uh, he is such a jerk about it. It is hard to ascribe those pure motives to him, even to what you perceive as noble acts. And that's, 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 a, that's an interesting uh, point of contention, actually. I, I remember... Christopher Hitchens, who's a writer that I really liked, uh, sort of essayist and very interesting guy, he often complained that people would see an act and they would ascribe it, if if there was any part of someone's decision that could be described as being rotten or evil that led to that, they would say that the whole reason for that decision was that rotten and evil. There was no other factors involved. But People make decisions through a variety of reasons. Sure. It could be a variety of drivers. Some of them might be very pure and some of them not. It doesn't mean that the not pure ones are the only reasons. You know, yeah. the pure yeah. ones are in there too. Yeah. I fell out with Christopher Hitchens over that statement, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> or at least over what he was talking about. All right, all right. Well, the, the only thing I'll say about the uh, Brandon and Rickard Stark death is first of all, when Aries, when um, Jamie goes to talk about it, he says, uh, uh, King Aries, and he goes through his title. But when he gets to protector of the realm, protector is an italic, said it's with heavy sarcasm. I, I noticed yeah. that. <laughs> but yeah. also, what Aries does, he has. So, first of all, Brandon comes riding into the Red Keep, shouting for Rhaegar to come out and die. So. Either Brandon is incredibly hot-headed, or living in the North, he didn't fully appreciate just how mad Ares was, because I don't think that was going to go well going in. and. Uh, I, I, I'm going to go with, uh, you doesn't care how far away from the castle you live, shouting that about the crown prince is unlikely to win you any friends. Exactly. But, so, he, uh, of course, all of them are arrested, 
And uh, then Ares has the fathers of all of these younger men uh, brought to King's Landing. And when they get there, he has them all killed, aside from somehow Ethan Glover escapes, does, escapes being killed. But the names of the houses of the people that he has killed are the Glovers, Malisters, Royce, and Aaron's, those are some heavy hitters in Westeros. And uh, I yeah, I don't yeah. think that act... And the Starks, of course, yeah. Yeah, and the Starks, yes, of course, the Starks. That, I don't think that act should be overlooked because this that one deed right there may have set a lot in motion. Yeah. It, you know, it's a third of the realm immediately opposed to you. Right. Those are old, venerable houses, including right, yeah. uh, Aaron's, who are the Lord Paramounts of the Vale. And, uh, you know, basically, he has turned a great deal of the realm against him. What are the other Lord Paramount? What are the what are the Tullys? Now, the Tullys are obviously almost literally in bed with the Starks. But what are they supposed to do when uh, the Malister, uh, Malister, two Malister family members have been killed in cold blood? And, uh, you know, we've got the North, obviously, the Glovers and the Starks, and we've got two from the Vale. And those are all the territories that turned on the king. So, yep. you know, yep. you could call it um, Robert's Rebellion all you want, but it, even without Robert and Leanna's love, there very well might have been a rebellion here. Right. And, of course, and of course, Robert was very deep friends and foster child of John Arryn. So the fact that an Arryn was involved, you know, also, I mean, obviously he was, his primary driver was Lyanna, but that was yet another part of the uh, realm that was up in open rebellion at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's a, it was a precipitous act by Ares for sure. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know what Robert was before he was King Robert is he was the Lord of Storm's End and the Lord Paramount of the, Stormlands. So it's another Lord Paramount. So basically, there's at least four Lord Paramounts here who are now uh, very much opposed to the king. And 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 if they don't act, if they don't act on what he did, then what are their bannermen supposed to think of them? Like, are you just going to let him pick any of us off that he wants? So anyway, I just wanted to mention that. Just one last thing before we end. Jamie twice mentions. that Cat lost her maidenhood to Littlefinger. And Tyrion mentioned on the trek through the mountains and the moon that Littlefinger had told all of the court that he deflowered her. She denied it. Yeah, and then Littlefinger doubles down when he's talking to Tyrion about Literally. Um, proposing uh, Marcella to wed Robin Aaron, when it, you know, that, that whole trick thing that Tyrion was doing there. Uh, Tyrion asks him, you know, are you close with the Tully's with the Tully girls, and he said, "I had both their maidenhoods. Is that close enough?" So he's claiming to have had both their maidenhoods. Yeah, but in the last cat chapter, she herself claimed she gave her maidenhood to a solemn stranger. That does not sound like Littlefinger. He's neither a stranger nor is he solemn. It sounds a lot like Ned Stark. It does sound Um, a lot like Ned Stark. Yes, but to Uh, her credit, she did not take the bait on any of those comments that he made because it, uh, he... do you remember how the chapter ended oh that's true <laughs> <laughs> eventually he found a button to push yes. good point good point <laughs> do you got some background then oh almost nothing <laughs> I he, he was scribbling nothing. this as we spoke i know so 
I had planned on putting the background chapter to, or section together between the time when I finished working and we started recording. But right as I sat down to start working on it, Molly comes down. She had to go to she had to go see a middle school play for her high school theater classes. She has you know, to support the middle school. And she comes down and says, My the the person that she was going with has bailed. And would I go with her? She doesn't want to go alone. So rather than writing the background section, I went and watched Shrek the Musical Junior with my little girl at the uh, middle school. Well, it was actually at the high school auditorium. So how was it? It was it was cute. It was cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good. Uh, oddly, the very most talented singer in the whole cast was in the very first scene. She sang like half a song because it was a duet with someone else and never seen from again. I was like, what happened to the mama ogre <laughs> where she was fantastic where did she go so anyway i was i was uh doing my dadly duty rather than writing background so i apologize to all can i give you an aside which you can definitely edit out i was watching a uh, there's a guy called louis theroux who does like sort of like interesting sort of like postcards from america type of thing and he did a whole episode about people who are in the acting profession and auditioning and things like that and he goes to new york and he gets a uh, an agent and she gets him an audition to get on a norwegian cruise ship and he's there and there's just hundreds of people and you can hear as they're warming up these kids can sing and this bloke cannot <laughs> sing and he goes up there and he has to sing in front of all of them and afterwards he's saying I knew it wasn't going very well when the guy who was doing the audition couldn't look me in the eye. He was like looking anywhere. <laughs> and she, his agent, cannot stop laughing. She is like, she's trying to be sympathetic, but she's like, that had to be the scariest thing you've ever done. And she's cracking up laughing. Oh, that scene is so funny. Good stuff. She cannot get control. She's like, she keeps on patting his arm like, I don't mean to be laughing at you, but... And he, he's kind of like looking like sort of like horrified. And he's like, why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm traumatized now. All right, give me the background. All right, here's what little background I've got. So I'm going to go through um, Brandon Stark's companions that he rode into King's Landing and into the Red Keep with. And just give you a little background, which is when I say little, I mean little. So, uh, Jeffrey Malister was one of the men, and here's what I've got about him. It's unclear how he's related to Lord Jason Malister of Seaguard. <laughs> <laughs> Profound. I Profound. Know. Thank you. I told you, it's pretty thin. <laughs> Is there anyone else it's unclear how he's related to? <laughs> pretty much everyone. <laughs> it's unclear how he knew Brandon Stark. <laughs> he might have met him on the road. I don't know. <laughs> Malister, you say? A famous name. Uh, Then we've got Kyle Royce. His relation to either Lord Jan Royce of Runestone, head of House Royce, or Nestor Royce, the keeper of the gates of the moon, is unknown. Oh, okay. (laughs) Two for two. Oh, yeah. Or O for two. Uh, Then we've got Albert Aaron. Now, he's the son of the younger brother of John Aaron, who is, of course, we know, the former hand of King the Lord Paramount of the Vale, and the former Warden of the East. There is more to his story, but I want to let the the actual story tell us about 
Uh. Albert Aaron. So I'm not going to say anything about him either. Uh. <laughs> this, that's a tricky thing about background, of course, is because some of the background is stuff that we will discover. So. Yes. I, I've, it's very challenging to make sure I'm, yeah. I'm not spoiling something. So I'm glad you do this. And finally, we've got Ethan Glover. The survivor. <laughs> yes. The only one to survive. And as you may have guessed, his relation to Galbart Glover, the master, yes, master of Deepwood Moth. In, in Deepwood Moth, they call them the master, not the lord of Deepwood Good Moth. to know. Um, his relation to Galbart Glover is unknown. Mm. So, <laughs> however. I think I think all these lords sent their fake children down with Fred and Stuck. However, Ethan... As you mentioned, he was the only member of Brandon's party to escape the Red Keep with his life. And he met up with Ned and rode with Ned to the Tower of Joy to rescue Ned's sister, Liana, where Ethan died. So he rode with both of two of the uh, Stark brothers. Uh, Yes, so he did. So comparison with the television show, I have to tread a little carefully around a couple of spoilers here, but Kat sees Jamie in his cell. He's still sort of in a stockade out in a field, wet and muddy, with Brienne present. Brienne's right there. Um, There is an urgency to their visit as Jamie's just tried to escape, and in so doing, he murdered a Karstark's son. Oh. Um, That Karstark's son was saved from being killed in the Whispering Woods just to be given a more ignoble death at Jamie's hands, thus ramping up Lord Karstark's thirst for revenge. Okay. Uh, Because of all that, the entire Northern host is restless with a need for revenge. Uh Uh, There is no talk of Brandon and Rickard's visit to King's Landing. That isn't mentioned here. Uh, Jamie does discuss the impossibility of keeping disparate vows and claims to be truer than Ned, who sired a bastard. Uh, the news of Brandon Rickon's death has not reached Cat yet. Okay. Pedantry, you got something that I, while we were talking, I moved it to Pedantry because I think it's rock solid. Oh, um, well, so, you know, the deal that Jamie and Cat make here is I'll answer a question, you answer a question. And one of the questions that Jamie asks her is, about the Baratheon brothers' movements. Have they have they mobilized yet? And Kat says that Stannis is marching toward King's Landing and that Renly is Renly died at Bitterbridge by a mysterious black art. Which is an odd false statement because Renly died at Storm's End, not Bitterbridge. And I just can't see any bit of any benefit of lying about that. Maybe she just misspoke, meant to say Storm's End, said a lot of his force was at Bitterbridge, but he was at Storm's End, so. Yep, that's 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 pedantry. That was missed by the editor, is what I think. <laughs> okay. She didn't misspeak. The editor didn't spot it. The editor uh, took a drink while uh, he or she was mm-hmm. reading and missed that line. So news and notes. Tell me about what's going on in Northern Ireland. Well, the the Game of Thrones TV show Studio Tour opened its doors on February 4th. The uh, Linen Mills Studio is located in Bainbridge, Northern Ireland, and they've got sets like Winterfell's Great Hall and props such as Drogon's Skull, costumes like Jon Snow's Night's Watch Cloak, and a whole bunch of of stuff. You can see a lot of the videos online, actually, nowadays. Uh, Some of the other things you can learn about how they did some of the amazing special effects, like you know, work the dragons in. Um, 
Tickets start at around 40 pounds for an adult, but there are discounts for students and children and seniors and families and things like that. So if you're in Northern Ireland and you have such a desire, sounds like something pretty cool to check out. Oh, yeah, it would be pounds. I was trying to think what the currency is because it's Northern Ireland, it's pounds, yeah. Yeah, I I didn't know how to do a pound sign on the keyboard, so yeah, I literally clearly. just did a pound. <laughs> you know, you know the symbol you've got there. We we don't call that a pound sign in Europe. And the first time I tried to get my telephone set up when I moved to America, they said press the pound key, and I looked and I was like, I don't know what to press. I had no idea. <laughs> was I was it, stuck. Do you call it the hashtag key or something? We call it a hashtag or yeah, uh, okay. something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. But we don't call it a pound sign. You wouldn't call it the pound because. There's a there's something else. We have else a symbol a for a pound, right? Exactly. <laughs> we have an actual symbol for a pound. Um, we got a review on Podchaser from Vintage Girl. The night is dark and full of terrors. It's a good start. Yep. Um, yep. But not if you're listening to this fantastic podcast. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's entertaining, funny, well researched. Which, which podcast is she talking about? I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to hear which one. <laughs> okay. And gives loads of interesting background on the characters and places of the A Song of Ice and Fire world. These Not two so guys much have this fun. week. <laughs> <laughs> These two guys have fun with what they're doing and this positive and relaxed atmosphere transmit to the listener. Also love their witty banter and how they start each episode with a little chat about what happens to them in their everyday life. Simon and McKelly are so good. They should be knighted and all the castles of Westeros should be theirs to choose from. The Eerie shall be mine. Ah, vintage girl. That's awesome. That thank is. You for, thank, thank you for you. gifting us Westeros. Thank you so much. That is fantastic. Yeah, that's really nice. Thanks. All right, let's fantastic, conclude. So, fantastic with the PH, like how she put it. Oh, I did here. notice that. Yeah, I thought I thought that was you mistransposing, but that I, was intentional. I believe that was intentional. Nice. I like that. I wouldn't put it that's past me to have wrongly transposed it, but I think yeah, it yeah. was legit. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's conclude. All right. Well, so... Sir Roderick is at Castle Sirwin. He plans to ride uh, out to retake Winterfell, which shouldn't be a mission impossible, except for one tiny detail that we mentioned before. His daughter Beth is inside, and Uh, Theon knows who she is. Yep, yep. Although... Maybe if he just stands in front of the walls of Winterfell and shouts, Theon, come out here right now, he might do it. Because... Maybe. <laughs> you know how it is when you go home. You right. Know, you still get treated like a child, doesn't matter how old you are. <laughs> so it seems kind of obvious who's lying and telling the truth, uh, but it is hard, kind of hard to accept because it absolves the Lannisters and means that Littlefinger is scheming and manipulating and, and using Catelyn for his own ends in some way. You know... She thinks that the that Littlefinger's duel for her um, hand in marriage is an example With of his Stark, yeah. dedication to her, but right. maybe it's evidence that he'd have resentment for the Stark family and yeah, want to see them true. knocked off their high horse. I mean, Brandon put him almost didn't she specifically instructed Brandon not to kill him, but he uh, he put uh, Peter in the sick bed for a while. So yeah. Could be some resentment there, is my point. Yeah. So, uh, Jamie's story of how horrible and mad Eris was uh, is pretty compelling. Uh, paints his king slaying uh, in a more understandable light. Which, honestly, I've always been there. Eris was an awful king. Let's yeah. kill him. I mean, again, I don't actually 
promote killing people. But, you know, within the context of this book, I think it's okay that Eris got it. Right, yeah. He's just... But he he... is arrogant about it. Exactly. Self-centered. Yeah. It's... But his... He's not doing his... He's not doing much PR for his... He's not. Please don't be... Please don't be mad at me for Kingslaying. Right. And I think his subtle example he gives of uh, Gerald Hightower's uh, reputation versus his shows that there is some hypocrisy of uh, regarding uh, Jamie's situation here. Well, I mean, they're not. It's not hypocrisy per se. I mean, people people seem to respect the ones who stick to their vows. But yeah, it does yeah, seem... that's true. It's not really hypocrisy. It's... It is a bit unfair, unfair. Though, I guess. Yeah, that's for sure. That's more what it is. It's unfair. Yeah. yeah. Although the whole realm celebrated, with the exception of a handful of houses, uh, reveled in Eris's death. It yeah, seems. yeah. So, uh, one thing that I found surprising is that Cat didn't seem to know just how terrible Ares was. Right. Until right. He, she heard this story, and she said, right. "Bile rose in her throat." hearing this story so maybe people didn't quite realize just how mad and unstable and dangerous king yeah possibly that's true but like Uh, i said even without liana and robert the the actions that king aries took with the other with the men from the other powerful houses in westeros uh might have created a rebellion looming over uh king aries reign to begin with right for sure yeah um, at the end of the chapter, Catelyn asks for the sword from Brienne. Uh, did Jamie push her too far? She is in the stages of grief. She's definitely at the anger stage of grief. And uh, But obviously, if she thinks calmly for a second about Sansa and Arya, she won't go through with this. So Jamie may not be toast just yet. Right. Yeah. Hopefully, Brienne asks her to count to ten before she does anything. Right. Yeah. Before she makes any decisions. As always, you can reach us at ghost.hirenhall at gmail.com and you can follow us on Twitter at Ghost Hall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Discord where you can discuss the spoilers. That's right. And of course, there's three ways you can help us out. Uh, first, you can rate and review us. There's no better way to spread the news about our show and we very much appreciate that. Secondly, you can load up on some merch at ghostsofharenhall.threadless.com and finally, you can donate a cup of Arbor Gold to soothe our parched throats at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostsheronhall. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.